Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ and then to be sanctuary to each other and express sanctuary to this city. And so for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Wonderful. Well, if you have a Bible, could you turn to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17? 1 Kings 17. Famous story for many of us. If you're new to the whole Bible churchy thing, uh, it won't need too much explanation to get the basic gist. So I'll just read it and make some comments about it, and then we'll have some discussion. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And then the word of the Lord came to him. That's Elijah. Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, "Uh, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I can have a drink? As she was going to get it, He called, oh, and uh, bring me, please, uh, a piece of bread as well. Well, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Elijah says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the earth. She went away and did as Elijah had told her, so there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. Because the jar of flour was not used up, the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Hallelujah. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's just me. I think it's probably widespread, but I, it's been extraordinary the speed at which I have gone from feeling in one moment, living in San Francisco, one of the most wealthy cities in the world in California, in America. Um, and before that, living in Visalia with the biggest houses I've ever seen and ever lived in with swimming pools and abundance everywhere. I, I have gone from feeling unbelievably resourced and 
provided for and feel like um, the issue of provision is just not an issue. You know, just wherever I look, there's just provision, 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 provision. Um, whether you live in Britain or live in America, uh, it's basically been the same picture, right? For all of us for so, so long is that we are a people who are just completely used to this feeling of, well, yeah, I want something and I get something, right? And that's just my normal life. And in the last few weeks, as the virus has now been sweeping across the globe, I have found probably for the first time in my life, this extraordinarily quick transition to an awareness of actually a sense of lack or a potential lack. Give me a nod if you can sense what I'm saying. This, this, this reality check that, do you know what? Things may seem very, very strong in this world and very immovable and very robust in a heartbeat. Something that you cannot even see with the naked eye, this tiny virus, is illuminating the fragility of the so-called strength which Tom Shaw has got relied upon. I remember being in Trader Joe's, the epitome of hipster cool, family food grocery shopping in San Francisco a few weeks ago. It was the weekend of Lily's birthday. We were trying to make it fun uh, getting to the grocery store and uh, on her birthday. And I went in and there was an employee with her back to me just stacking some shelves. And I just so lightly spoke to her, said, oh, excuse me, I'm after some flour. And she whirled around with this horrified look in her eye because, and she said to me, whoa, way too close. Get back. Literally, like she had almost like bloodshot eyes in my mind anyway. And she was tangibly fearful because I was near to her. And ironically, in conjunction with this story with flour, she said, all the flour's gone. All the dry goods have gone. I'm sorry. And she just hurried off. And I was rather indignant. But at the same time, for the very first time in my life, I felt fragile and aware that even in San Francisco, in Trader Joe's, this life is so much more fragile and weak and like a vapor than I've ever realized before. You know, me and Josie had not gone to Costco, which is a huge grocery store the size of a planet, you know, weeks earlier to stockpile. We had not been those people. We were those who just thought it would all be fine. And so suddenly we looked at our tiny little pantry, our tiny larder in our tiny house with about enough food for like six hours. And we suddenly felt this sense of lack, lack. And as I've been thinking about this, I've just been thinking, this is such a, such a truth for all of us. You know, for the rest of the world, they're always aware that there's this, give us our, da our daily bread prayer is not some metaphor. And suddenly, and I admit this is a tiny example because obviously still we live here, but for the first time, I've actually felt that sense of lack. And as I think about, I think about even places like New York, even someone as powerful as the mayor of New York feeling that sense of lack, I can't stop this. I'm trying everything I can and I can't stop this. And even the president throwing in $2 trillion, which is incredible, the biggest bailout ever, no one quite knows 
is this going to work? There's a sense of lack that, that, they, that everyone's feeling. We can't, even, we can't even escape this by going to a different place. You can't get on a plane and, and get out. There's a sense of, it's like a landscape of lack. It's just like there's a landscape of apparent lack. Some of you now have lost jobs and you're trying hard to apply for jobs. Some of you are trying to get to the States and you've applied for over 100 jobs and there's a lack that you've been feeling. I'm really qualified. I've really tried hard, but my efforts and my qualifications lack the power (laughs) to give me what I need. You know, there's this sense of lack that I think is becoming more widespread, um, which is for most of us, for many of us, incredibly uncomfortable. There's a lack of clarity. Is this thing really serious or really not? Some of us fall into one camp. Some of us fall into another camp. Is, there's a lack of clarity about how we deal with this. There's a lack of clarity about how long this is going to go, going to go on for. There's a lack of clarity and there's a lack of unity often in communities about how we deal with it. I think this sense of lack for me um, is something that I, I feel God's just been saying. This is something that ultimately you see not just in the 20th century or 21st century, rather, whatever we're in now, um, across the Western world, but you actually see it here. This word, this Bible is set in large part in times of lack, persecution, shipwreck, uh, famine, drought, exile, you name it. This book is filled with people who are aware they're not in control. The backdrop of this book is crisis. The book of Acts only makes sense when you view it through a sense of some kind of crisis. The reason that people seem to pray so often in the Bible and they, most of us don't pray so often is because the Bible is, is filled with seasons of tremendous lack where people feel fragile and weak and therefore finally realize they have to pray just to survive. Prayer isn't something for a few people, it's everything. And this is the picture that we see here where, where we read here about this, this widow who is in a season of outstandingly um, prevalent lack. The picture that we've just read about, I don't know if you can picture it with me, is set in this place called Zarephath, which is in a, a region called Phoenicia, which is actually north of Israel. And although this story that we've just read and we're going to discuss involves two characters, there's the famous guy, Elijah, we've all heard of him, and then there's this unknown woman. I, I find I'm actually strangely more drawn in my imagination to this woman, this unknown woman who is a widow. There's something about her, and I think her experience of lack and fragility that the Spirit has been speaking over me. You know, for the first time, I've actually thought, are we genuinely going to have, uh, have enough food to go around? And of course, honestly, the reality is we almost certainly will. But the reality is that for her, as we come to this this moment today, she is at the point where she is about to have her last meal with her son. In this place um, above Israel, a widow prepares a final meal. 
Um, and, and in that situation, we don't know uh, how long the drought has been going by this point. Um, we don't know exactly what the scene is. We don't know how, when her husband died. Um, we don't know whether she's old or young. Um, she obviously has a son, um, but she's at this point, and I just want you to sort of feel something of this, is that where she's gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and for my son, and then we may eat it and, and die. Now, as a parent, I cannot even begin to imagine the horror of what she is experiencing. She's not only at the point of knowing she's about to die, she must have been gaunt. She must have been just skin and bone. And there she is, and it's this sort of somewhat pathetic and heart-rending image of her trying to scrabble together just enough. I've got just enough for this final meal. And what's so fascinating, it's worth mentioning and just being clear, is that the region that she's in, Phoenicia, and uh, the Zarephath was fairly near a city called Sidon, was actually, it was kind of the hotbed of where Baal worship, which was reaping havoc, it was like a can. This is where Jezebel, who had brought Baal worship into Israel, this is where she's from. So it's fascinating to get clear is that this widow, as she's making this final meal, is in an area synonymous with the very cancerous lie that was robbing Israel of its intimacy with God. And this widow is in this place. And so she would have almost certainly herself been a Baal worshipper. So this picture at one level should inspire sympathy. We should feel sorry for her if we're compassionate. But there's also an awareness that she the, the, the nuance to this story is that she is reaping the consequences of being someone who puts her hope in provision in a false God. That is the reality of the picture. She is from an area that is synonymous with the worship of Baal. Baal um, was one of the major alternative distracting gods to the true God of Israel, Yahweh. Baal, actually the word means Lord. Isn't that ironic? So he, this worship of a false Lord was what this widow and the area that she was from was synonymous with. And the story is, is that God has had enough because Israel has been infected with this. Israel's heart has been turning to false worship. And in fact, just so you know, Baal worship was so, so honestly demonic. Um, it even in, it resulted at times in people offering up their children as sacrifice to the God of Baal in order, the belief was, well, he'll give us wealth, he'll give us fertility, he'll give us the crops. And so this, this lie that we will get resourced from Baal had infected Israel and it had come from the very area that this widow was from, okay? And here she is preparing this final meal and then suddenly... I mean, I don't know how she was feeling. It doesn't tell us. But just, I mean, imagine if she's literally about to die. I wonder what her emotion would have been like. I would open up the floor if there wasn't quite so many of us. I wonder what this woman would have been actually feeling like. She would have cried out to Baal again and again and again. Oh, please bring rain. Please bring strength. Please bring resource. And day upon day upon day upon day would have gone by. And all the time as she lost weight and lost hope and hoped, I'm sure her husband was with her and he wasn't, she would have felt more aware that this so-called God was either angry with her or wasn't real. 
And then suddenly at this moment where she's, I'm sure, most imagine, uh, emotionally fragile, suddenly in walks this rather um, quirky character. If you know anything about Elijah, suddenly in comes our second character, Elijah. And what we know about Elijah was that he was hairy, okay? He looks a bit like Mike Davis up in England. Actually, Mike's got a lot of uh, hair on top, but he hasn't got too much facial hair. It's kind of a combination of Billy Atkins and his facial hair, perhaps, and Mike. He, this guy was, was, uh, he was known as Mr. Hairy. Um, and what we know about this guy just happened in the few verses before him. It's fascinating. Elijah, who was a man just like us, says that in the New Testament. He was a normal guy. Um, and in fact, we learn later on, he was quite an emotional man, uh, unlike me, um, emotionally fragile. But he was actually a bit of a drama queen kind of guy. He was very dramatic and a bit of a, a, bit of a high and then a bit of a low, which I just don't resonate with at all. Um, but we, he's just had a high moment. He's been led by God to confront the king of Israel, who is taking the entire people of God away from loving God and into this false worship of Baal. And, and uh, uh, Elijah, this very normal guy, has confronted Ahab, God's told him to, and then uh, the, the, the judgment on Israel was drought, but God had looked after Elijah in the drought. It was amazing. He takes him to this secret little stream in the brook Kerith, and this is honestly true. I told my, my kids this yesterday, and they didn't believe me. Do you know how God sustains him, not just with water, but do you know how he gets his food? twice a day all during this period you know it i wish i could unmute you all it's such a great he literally sends a bird he sends ravens who were not these were animals that were unclean to, to any jew you couldn't you couldn't eat a raven ravens were one of the listed in the old testament as unclean birds and ravens were not synonymous with um with being kind they weren't like you know little robins or something that were you know were nice nice birds or parrots ravens were, were apparently didn't even always feed their young they were birds that in the natural realm they were unclean to jews they were like boo kind of birds and yet god has been feeding elijah honestly it says uh, twice a day by instructing ravens to bring him bread and meat. Now, I just want you to picture that scene just for a moment. I know some of you are familiar with this story. Bear with me. Just let it sink in. This guy, Elijah, had obeyed God, confronted Ahab. Now drought was there. And every day he was making friends with some birds. They would, they would fly in with their sliced bread under their little beaks. Not literally, of course. We don't know what the meat was. I dread to think what kind of meat ravens would find. So I'm sure that Ahab had to very quickly, not Ahab, Elijah had to very quickly overcome any kind of food snobbery, okay? He had to eat this meat from these ravens, these unclean birds on his own. I mean, this guy must have looked like an absolute bum. I have no idea, as you'd say in America, I have no idea how long he was out in the wilds. But then he has to travel from this spot. He's probably there for several weeks at least. Then God says, now go up to see the widow. That's over 80 miles. He is, he's this crazy wild-haired man who's been eating bird meat for weeks on his own. He must, have, he must have honestly been pretty stinky. I'm sure he didn't have shiny white nice teeth. This crazy man suddenly like bursts in to the scene 
at this woman at this moment where this fragile widow is at her most emotionally fragile about to die and suddenly he bursts into the scene and he gives her what must have sounded like a line you know in san francisco there are many people who are after your money and they will give you the most cheesy over-the-top story to get money out of you hi there i'm so sorry to bother you um my car just exploded and could you lend me two dollars so i can make a phone call and you're like, mm-hmm, yeah, I'm sure that's, I'm sure that really happened. I imagine for this woman, when he comes over to her, there must have been part of her that's thinking, who is this? Who is this crazy guy? I don't believe this, 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 I don't trust this guy for a moment. But it tells us, God, when he spoke to Elijah, he says, I have spoken to, I have already commanded her to feed you. And so we don't know exactly what happened, what that was like, but we see, therefore, when on the first attempt, Elijah just bluntly says, can I have some water? And then, oh, can I have some food? She gets understandably um, responsive. She says, as surely as the Lord your God lives. So she, at this point, God is just over there, his God. He's, he's obviously spoken to her somehow, and she says, I, I, I only have enough for myself. And she's thinking, you see, when you're in a season of lack, this is an instinctive human response. Your natural response is to hoard. I wonder if any of you right now, if you're, if you're feeling any of that sense of uncertainty or lack in any way of provision, you may well be feeling like a sense of my temptation is to be like that widow and just to think in logical terms. Yeah, anyone here? would be willing to say, yeah, that's a little like me. I know when, when, the, when the, the provisions seem to go down, my tendency to just think in human terms and self-preservation goes up. So this first picture of this crazy man, well, not crazy, but wild man, meeting this rather vulnerable widow with no husband to look after her, he bursts in making demands and her response is natural. It's fleshly. It's, it makes sense. Um, but what he, what he says to her in this second part is, did you notice it's so kind in verse 13? It says, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Now we have the softness. Do you notice that? The kindness of God is coming through Elijah. I don't know what his facial expression was like, but I have a hunch that with this second part of his instruction, there's a kindness and there's a twinkle in his eye. I can almost picture it. He has just had God sustain him himself. He's had a little taste of what that widow has been going through. He's felt vulnerable. He's felt like many of us, that feeling of, is anything certain? I'm living on my own at a brook. And yet day by day, my God has sent me a bird, for goodness sake. He sent me birds to sustain me. So I think we have now this, this man of, of Asher, I think he had faith. I don't know if you agree. I feel like he has faith. He might have been a little bit clumsy in his wording at the beginning, a bit blunt. You know, classic Tom Shaw, there's this woman who's in a place of mourning and he just blunders in with just, hey, excuse me, can I have some water, can I have some bread? But that's what faith can be like, isn't it? That's why God says, make sure when you have faith, you also, also have love. Even more importantly, Tom, Elijah, he sort of, it's almost like he's like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me, let me also express not just this command that's actually going to lead to provision, but let me also bring in 
the love side of God. I love this. The heart of the father is coming through Elijah now to this woman who was probably so far from God. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Number one, go home and do as you've said. I love that. He's saying your plans of preparation and planning are not bad. They're good. You know that he doesn't say, oh, ye of little faith. How dare you try and look after yourself and your son? He says, no, 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 no. In effect, says, that's a good thing. And when you're in a season of lack, my friends, as many of us are, or the threat of lack, it's not wrong for us to actually have some level of concern for ourselves and for those around us. He says, go home and do as you said. But then here's, here is the invitation of faith. But first make a small cake of bread for me. I love that. Just a small one. In my head, when I used to remember this story, I always remember that he demanded everything. But that's not actually true. He says, you make some for yourselves. But first of all, just make a little loaf of bread for me. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. So now this kind of this landscape of sadness and sorrow that we're reading about here, suddenly like the plane starts to pitch up and hope starts to come. And I don't know if he had a twinkle in his eye, but I, I bet he did. I'm guessing he did. He's like, hey, listen, I've been fed by birds. God, if he says it, as crazy as it sounds, it is not about logic. Everyone say in your rooms across the world, it is not about logic. It is not about rational, ex- uh, uh, excuse, or rational explanations. The God of the Bible is a God of supernatural provision. And Elijah has been experiencing this. It's not a theological thing to think about, debate. Every time that little birdie's come over to him, his head would have been blown again. Every time he ate the, me- the meat, he would have been not just physically fed, but spiritually fed. And, and, and we see now here, Elijah wanting to lead this widow into a place of faith. And friends, God, I believe, wants to lead Tom Shaw and Josie Shaw, my children, and each and every one of you, no matter where you are, to enter into faith one day at a time when the landscape is one of lack that we should be a people who expect provision and then and then also we we embrace some level of participation god is a god he doesn't just promise to her um you know i will give you enough he he gives this lavish promise and isn't that a picture of the gospel isn't that the gospel this woman who was a baal worshiper God doesn't just come to her and and just offer her a small little thing. He wants to lavish incredible grace and mercy and kindness and blessing upon blessing upon people who do not deserve it. Honestly, she didn't deserve it. She was one who was synonymous with an area of Baal worship. Tom Shaw, when God first broke into my heart all those years ago, did not deserve it. I still don't deserve it. I will never deserve it. But this picture of like the extravagant provision of God in flour and in oil endlessly to a woman who doesn't deserve it, spoken through a prophet who didn't deserve it. Friends, this is our gospel of grace. This 
is our gospel. That is the good news that San Francisco and California and England and the Colorado and the whole world needs to hear and so often hasn't heard. It's heard a gospel of like moralism. If you try hard, then you might get good stuff. But this is a picture of grace. This is God's extravagant grace to a prophet and to a, a, a widow who did not deserve that. Hallelujah. And friends, if you're anything like me and you're in a place of just planning mode, just self-preservation mode, this story brings massive, massive hope to us. What are the things right now, even just in your mind, just take 10 seconds. What are the things that you feel you could be in danger of just trying to hold on to or the, the areas of your life that you feel lacking that you need God to bring supernatural breakthrough in. Even just take 10 seconds of silence and let the spirit just say, just to highlight those things. Okay. Lord Jesus, we just pray even now before we do anything else, I pray... First of all, for every man, woman, and child here, I don't know what they've got in their hearts, but you do. I pray for provision. Jesus, when you walked the earth, you just oozed provision. You healed the sick. You raised the dead. You encouraged the downhearted. You included the lonely. Lord, right now, would you lift up, I pray, fresh faith for provision. I pray for jobs. I pray for finance. I pray for visas. I pray for healing. I pray for protection against the virus. I pray for uh, healing for any who might have it. I pray, Lord Jesus, for those who are not part of a community that knows Jesus. I pray any watching this on future recordings who feel just like this fragile widow, oh, Holy Spirit, would you encourage their hearts that the God of the Bible is not a God who rewards those who are just good and deserve it. You are kind to those who do not deserve it. You bring the rain on the good and on the evil. And I'm so grateful to you for that, Jesus. And I pray for just fresh eyes to see the goodness and the kindness of God in the land of the living. Amen. So I just want to ask one quick question and then we'll bring this to an aid. So you can unmute in a moment. Why did God, do you think, ask her to make a small cake of bread? Why didn't he just roll up and go, ba, 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 ba. here you go, here's loads of provision, I'm gone. Why, any thoughts, quickly, why he made her um, make that small bit of bread? It was proof, right? To show her. You might just need to say who you are because there's so many people on this. I can't just introduce your name and then give your thoughts. Is it Grace? No. Uh, Michael. Michael. And I think it was just that he wanted to show, he wanted there to be proof that our God is a God of action. Our God is a God of provision. And that was the living proof that he would be able to multiply her scarcity. Right. Excellent. I love that. Any other thoughts? Great thought, Michael. Steve? Um, it's also it's a place of obedience. He's asking, asking yeah. to step, step out of the boat first. He asked the leper to withdraw his hand, and it's in the withdrawing of his hand that he's healed. 
there's there's a place like do you trust me mm. in this moment step off the cliff i'll catch you right <laughs> and paul here and it's in the immediacy the now right right mm. unpack that slightly more well it, we we often think that god gives us the big hope of the far out future and eternity but he is actually wanting us to see he's our provider in the immediate now do right. this now oh, i'll wow. take care of you now perfect these are great thoughts guys keep them flowing any other comments uh grace and i love i i love how it's i feel like it's this invitation for the widow to step into the kingdom like this opportunity for her to like see and trust god and mm. like so that's what kind of what i was hearing and then she like grows in faith in that but it's like this beautiful thing for her to like step into receiving grace right okay yes yeah, so good any more any more thoughts i love this hi sarah here um i think oh i've got a crying baby so that's okay see. we can hear you <laughs> um, <laughs> she literally started crying as soon as i hit a new um, I think it, I think the reason why he does that is because he wants this widow to really address and be real about the implications of the gift of bread to this stranger. I think God asked her to really sit with the reality and the pain of sharing. Right. And yes, you can see God at work and there's all these big lofty Christian principles, but in reality, I don't think she cared about any of that. She cared about the last meal she was going to have with her and her son. Wow. And so I think like looking back, we can see God's grace and his provision. But in that moment, he's asking her to address the most pressing fear she has. Yes. And that is her imminent death due to starvation. And I think wow. like that is so real and raw mm -hmm. and it's not tidy. It's not got a Christian bow on it. It's ugly. Mm -hmm. It's an ugly request in some ways. Now yeah. we know the end of the story and that's God's provision and that's glorious and beautiful. And you have to commend her faith in that moment. Um, you know, but that's like real rubber meets the road faith yeah. to like make that sacrifice. So I think it's sort of recognizing what God asks of, mm -hmm. asks of us sometimes <laughs> to really give in those yeah. moments. And I think, um, I think we should all just be sobered with like, like the weight of that request. Yeah you know, the weight of that one, you know, loaf of bread yes. for that woman. Um, and it, for me, I think it's very convicting. Yeah. Yeah. The own, like, hoarding nature I have in my own, yes. my own heart. And it's an invitation to generosity, I think, um, which is really, really profound, especially in this season. <laughs> yeah, very good. One more thought from one person. I've got one, so Go on, Phil. Um, what I loved was like you know, and Sarah said there it was her last. It was her last supper, and then there was water and bread, and it was her last supper for, before dying. And yeah. she sort of, and then when she dedicated, when after the uh, encouragement from Elijah, she dedicated her last supper to Elijah and to to God. That actually gave her life, and it just feels like a real foretelling of Jesus's last supper, saying, "Eat of the bread, eat of the." eat of the wine or drink of the wine and then that's how you will get life so it feels like it just feels like another foretelling wow and th this bit oh good this this bit just happens to have been a really recent in i'm trying to read the bible like do a one year through the bible thing and just like fully just, like not on a plan or anything like that so i just happened to have like read a, ahead a couple of 
chapters on this as well. And the really interesting thing was later on, about two chapters later, Elijah went and sort of lay down on some rocks mm. and said, God, it's time for me to die now. I'm done. Like, <laughs> and it was almost like he declared it to God that I'm spent and I'm wow. given up. And then God did the same thing to him. He bought, um, he bought him food and cake, like cakes and water. Yeah. Then he, then God said, no, Elijah, it's not, it's not your time yet. I'm going to sustain you even more Then he gave him food enough to wow. go on and do loads of other stuff. Brilliant. Oh, brilliant. That's a beautiful. I never noticed that. That's so powerful. I love all of that. And yet I think it's all right. The way I've, I was pondering this thinking, man, you know, when you're really, really depressed and low and fragile, you just want the pure kindness of God, right? Everyone give me a thumbs up. All you just want is just Papa, Abba, give me a hug, God. Why are you asking anything from me? And at first, I, when I read this, I was like, man, it feels a little bit like, you know, like he's breaking a broken reed. Come on. She's so, I mean, this is like, why would you make any demands of this poor woman? And some of you right now ha- are or have been in a place where this is for you or you know your neighbors might be in the situation where they're, you know, they feel that. But here's, here's my way of expressing what I think you brilliant lot was saying as you were in just bringing insights any you see god i love this god is more he was more bothered about relationship with her than feeding her he wanted relationship with her amen the danger for all of us is when god is such a just a provider is that we forget the relationship that's the problem that's the beginning of my talk is that he so provides i just forget him i'm just sort of you know i get have this mountain of bread and i forget the giver behind it because God gives and gives and gives. And I think my hunch is, is that, you see, any relationship is two-way, right? If it's just one way, that's actually uh, broken. If any relationship, even in a human realm, is just someone endlessly giving to one person, that's like enabling them. That's, that's unhealthy. If someone literally just depends on someone, that's like a child before it's weaned. It's not long-term at all how things are meant to be. And I think this is about faith. This is about a raw act. But it's, I almost feel like, you know, um, it's like the beginnings of this two-way relationship between not God, not just rescuing her, but her also like entering into that, that, that relationship with God rather than just receiving and like, that's it. But he's like, come on, I want to, I want you to get to know me. And any relationship requires two, two way dynamics. Faith is not just this abstract thing. It is believing in God. Well, that's true. But as we know, faith has action. Faith is always action. And faith, I think another way of putting faith is it's about entering into the friendship with God, that it's not that he needs us to give him anything. It's a bit like when, you know, as an adult, it's your birthday and your child gives you something that's already yours for, 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 you know, for the birthday. Hey, can you give me some bread that's actually already mine? I love this. This beautiful picture here. It's almost like a dignity. You know, in, in normal relationships, if you go somewhere for a meal and you can bring something, even if they're doing 95% of the provision, you can bring one bit. There's something about a beautiful, healthy dynamic that's starting there, isn't there? That's why we, we want to be able to serve. We want to be able to bring things. And, and I feel like, for me, that what at first I read as just God demanding something, I feel like there's actually like, 
there's the smile of God saying, yeah, will you trust me? Will you, will you give me something? And just the final thing is, it's what's so wonderful because Baal worship um, required everything of you. Even people sometimes had to give their firstborn kids for Baal worship. God is saying here, if you will just give me a little bit of bread, you know, if you, if you, if you just give me something so small, I can give you so much more. See, the Christian God is, is a God, you know, when C.S. Lewis was famously asked, what's the difference between the Christian God and, and any other God? Quick as a flash, he said, oh, that's easy. In every other religion, it's ultimately about giving to God. But the Christianity is the only religion where fundamentally it's about actually him giving to you. It's about fundamentally you receiving from him. You don't have to go up a ladder to try and get to God. Through the cross, God has come to us and he is one who provides and gives. And yes, there's this small moment of giving. But when you see what she gets back, hallelujah, Hallelujah. The, the scandal of that mathematical equation is just laughable. The humor of God. I bet she was like, I'm so pleased that I made that little extra cake for that crazy man because I discovered the crazy man's God and he's real. And I want to say this, if, even if you're watching this and you don't know Jesus, often the packaging is a bit unusual. Honestly, the church of Jesus and Christians can be somewhat unusual sometimes. I remember as an, as an atheist, age 20, that was my experience. But within the very normal kind of imperfect packaging, there's the offer of incredible grace and mercy that is always available to those who say, I, I need God.